0: This morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2. Oh, and I I feel like, you know, I I feel like there, there needs to be a dad joke, right? I mean, there needs to be a dad joke. Yeah. Okay. So, what did the baseball glove say to the baseball? Catch you later. Or if you want to use an alternative, you can say, nice to met you. <laughs> Multifaceted dad joke there. All right. Acts chapter 2. Let's, uh, let's read this together. Um, we're going to be reading verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pray with me this morning, if you would. God, thank you uh, for this day where we celebrate uh, fathers. And God, please allow the number one celebration that we uh, embark on today be the same as every other day's target in our hearts and our lives, that we celebrate you as our Heavenly Father. God, as we move into this time of of diving into your word, we ask that you open hearts, that you speak encouragement, that you speak conviction, that you speak comfort. Whatever our hearts need and what our lives need, God, allow your spirit to speak that into us this morning. Father, I ask now that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit, I ask that my voice uh, give utterance to your word today and allow me to rightly divide this scripture for the edifying of the saints in the church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we, um, you know, we're talking about Empower this month. Being empowered, and we, we covered the first part of Acts chapter 2 last week, and we talked about the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, this promise that Jesus had made, and the indwelling and the filling, and then we talked about the sermon that Peter delivered on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and we kind of dissected that and learned from that what Peter was telling them, the explanation that he was giving them, and the ways that he not only um, you know, used the Scripture as his basis, but that uh, the, the Spirit spoke through him, that Christ was exalted, and that there was conviction that took place in the hearts during that time. So as we're advancing a little bit, I want us to talk today about what being empowered in our vision might look like. What is the vision, not only for our individual lives, but also for First Church of Christ in Grace? And what is our vision? Now, we didn't, you know, back, (laughs) I've I've said this a couple times, but back in, uh, you know, January, early February of 2020, I said that um, you know we did like a Vision Sunday, and, and while I don't feel like it's necessary to do a Vision Sunday each year, I did one at the beginning of 2020, because I said, now that the dust has settled and things seem to be falling into place, we're going to do a Vision Sunday, and the elders have threatened my life if I ever, ever make a statement like that again. So I'm not going to necessarily do a Vision Sunday here today, but I want to tell you what the vision for my life is. And it's, it's become simplified over the years. The vision for my life is to bring glory to God. That's it. It's to bring glory to God. Now, I would love to be up here and make these super humble and pious statements that, that's, you know, that, that, that everything's centered around that, and that has always been the vision, that that's always been what drives me, and that's as long as it's glorifying to God, that's all that matters to me. But, you know, that's not always been the case, but I understand that I'm not old, but I also understand that I'm not young as well. But the older that I get, the more that I realize that as you strip this life away, nothing else really matters other than glorifying God. And if I'm stating up here to you publicly today what my vision for my life is glorifying God, then the same can be said as your pastor for this church that our vision has to be to glorify God, period. If we're not glorifying God, then we're missing the target. We can dress it up and we can... We can put nice, fancy clothes and and ribbons and bells and whistles on it, but if we're not at the root and the foundation of who we are as a church, setting our hearts of affection and our purpose towards glorifying God, then we're missing the target. Now, this verse, I've got, we're going to get to what I'm going to call four vital signs, because this passage is described in many commentaries as what a healthy church looks like. And in one of the commentaries that I was studying this week, they used the terminology of vital signs, that we can find four vital signs in this passage. So I'm going to use that exact terminology. It's Christ-centered uh, exposition commentary set. Four vital signs. But there's also ten elements that we can see, ten evidences here. And I'm going to ask Christy if she would to put that up on the screen. Now, I've got this. If you have the church app, the church website, FCCGrayson.com, we have a section for message notes. All of these screenshots are there available on that page. So you can go and you can download them, you can screenshot them. Uh, but here are the ten evidences that we see in this passage Of a healthy, vibrant church is devotion to the word, devotion to one another, devotion to the breaking of bread, devotion to prayer, radical generosity, constant interaction with one another, gathering in both large and small groups, a spirit of awe and praise to God, displaying an attractive faith, key word there, attractive faith and daily evangelism. Now, you'll notice that the, four, the first four evidences here all have a similar word. It's devotion, and we see that in verse 42 when they said, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, the Greek word that's translated here, devoted, can also be translated to persevere. Now, it's kind of, we could get there in the English language. If we use the word devotion or devoted, we could eventually get there to persevering. But it takes a little bit of time to get there because we have a little bit of a diluted definition of what the word devotion or devoted means, especially in this particular passage of Scripture. This word devoted or persevering means that it costs them something. It meant that it was something that they purposefully did. It was something that they made a choice, moment by moment, day by day, to devote themselves to these things. Because at this time, this is when the early church was launching, they had just persecuted Jesus. And Greg shared this this wonderful news of Christ's death, but he also included in there the wrongful persecution, the wrongful beating, the wrongful mocking and scorning, and the wrongful murder of this man. So, this is coming fresh off of that. It's less than two months since this has happened. So, it meant that in order to devote themselves to the apostles' teachings, which was Jesus Christ, Him him coming, living, dying, and resurrected, in order for them to continue to be devoted in that teaching, meant that they made a choice to live a life that could end not glamorously. And if you've ever studied, the, especially the 12 disciples, and their, the way that they died, it's not pretty. It's not pleasant. But this word that they devoted themselves meant that they persevered, meant that even when resistance was coming against them, meant that even when they were being persecuted, when they were being mocked, when they were being scorned, some of them, when they were being beaten, when they were being brutalized, when they ultimately martyred, gave their life for this, they continued to persevere in this faith. I don't know if, if we've truly gotten to the place that our devotion has ever been tested the way that the early church's devotion was tested. I don't think that my faith and my devotion and my perseverance has ever been tested to the degree that some people in the world currently are being tested and persecuted and, and their devotion is being challenged. So these are evidences of this healthy, vibrant church. And I I wanted to talk about that for just a few moments this morning because I think that when we think about this church being a healthy, vibrant church, sometimes our definition doesn't look necessarily the same as what we see in this passage of Scripture. Because... Wonderful time of worship this morning in song. And by the way, you all sounded amazing. You sounded amazing. But sometimes we judge the health of and vibrancy of our church on well, how good was the song service this morning. How good was the preaching this morning. How long did he speak? Because we know that at 31 minutes, the preacher loses the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It lasts until 30 minutes. And then he's in the flesh. Am I right? That's what happens. But how devoted are we to the Word of God? How devoted are we to one another? How devoted are we to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to generosity, to interacting with each other, gathering together, the spirit of awe and praise in God in our lives. How attractive is our faith? And are we evangelizing? Are we talking about Jesus and his gospel daily? So with that, let's take a look at the four vital signs that this passage introduces to us. And I've got slides for these two. The first is biblical nourishment. Biblical nourishment. Now, nourishment, again, let's let's think about this wording here. Because we look at this and we're thinking, okay, that means I'm reading my Bible, that means that the preacher's preaching from the Bible, and that's absolutely correct, that's what it is. But it's also, to be nourished means to be healthy, doesn't mean just to have sustenance. I sat down last night. I ran a few errands, did a few things, went a few places yesterday. I went to the gym. Then, when I got home, I sat down with a large plate of tilapia, quinoa, and a little bit of brown rice. Wasn't the most flavorful meal that I've ever had in my life but it provided the nourishment that I needed at that point. So if we think about from biblical nourishment, let's think about it this way. When was the last time that you allowed yourself to be corrected from a biblical standpoint? When was the last time you openly accepted biblical correction into your life, whether it be spoken from one of your brothers or sisters or whether it be from the Word itself? When was the last time that you sat down? How often are you setting down consuming God's word and I'm not just talking about one of those like oh I'm getting ready to go to bed I've got to read three chapters and you read and then you're just like I have no clue what I just read I'm talking about purposefully get or you could be like my wife she will read in bed at night and she'll do this number and then she'll decide she needs to wake me up and tell me what just happened you know because like 30 seconds after my head hits the pillow I'm gone She's like, Ben, I just dropped a book on my head. Biblical nourishment. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, so I'm not going to get too great into detail. But to bring glory to God as a church, I understand that has all kinds of branches off of it. it, It's a super simplistic statement, and it's a simplistically true statement, but it has all types of branches off of it. But for this house to be healthy... We have to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word. Amen? Not a behavioral modification, not a good philosophy, not a good feel-good thing. Now, does the Bi- can the Bible do all of those things for us? Sure it can. But we do not compromise the foundational truth of Jesus Christ, Him crucified, His Spirit dwelling in us, and this being his word. The second one, we find loving fellowship, and it starts in verse 43. It actually starts in verse 42 where they were talking about how devoted they were to things, devoted to the fellowship. And then it says, "...and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common." Now, you're going to notice something. I want you to notice something as we go through this. These four vital signs, they build on one another. Because if we're not nourished from a biblical standpoint, then our fellowship is not going to truly be loving. Because our fellowship has to be built on the love of Christ. Let me repeat that again. Our fellowship has to be built on the love of Christ. And here's why I say that, because his love is perfect. His love is without blemish, is infallible. My love, your love, the elders' love, the deacons' love, the leaders' love, the volunteers' love, we are all fallible in our love. And if we're trying to build our fellowship on our our love, then it's going to fail every single time. And if I were to think that there is a spiritual epidemic that's running rampant through the churches, is that our love that we have for our brothers and sisters is based on our love, not His. The fellowship that we seem to want to have is based on our likes and dislikes. Music stand, is this okay this morning? Okay. Our love has to be built on his love. I believe Lazarus' sisters understood this. Because when Lazarus was sick, when he died, the sisters sent a messenger to Jesus with this very specific message. He said, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Lazarus, the one whom you love, is sick. The, that, that was the plea to Jesus. The one whom you love. Love is sick. And I think sometimes we try to qualify our prayers especially if we're asking for something like, God, you know how much I love you. Our love's not good enough. I'm sorry. Your love is not good enough. Had any of our love been good enough, Christ would have never had to come again that John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. His love was, was given a, 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 an evidence. It was manifested in the person of Jesus Christ here on earth. You see, they didn't send the message to Jesus about Lazarus of the one who loves you. They say, Jesus, we would really hope that you would come and do something about this because you know that, that Lazarus really loves you. No. It's the one whom you love. And see, when our love and our fellowship is based on his love, then that takes all of the petty little ignorant things that divide us, and it should wash them away. Again, if we're built on biblical truth and biblical nourishment, and our fellowship is built on his love, then our philosophies, our ideas, our desires, our druthers, should be put secondarily aside to the love of Jesus Christ. When I look at someone who may look different than me, act different than me, believe different than me, have a different political belief system than I do, have different ethnicities, when they are different than me, I need to be loving with the love of Jesus Christ. And that's evidence in the way that I relate to them because if I am magnifying our differences before what we're similar in, then I'm loving from my love and not his. Does that make sense? We must be built, our fellowship must be built on his love. The third vital sign this morning is vibrant worship. Vibrant worship. See, I want to take just a moment and camp out here for just a second. Vibrant worship is not always vibrant in the sense that the hands are in the air and there's an emotional response. Because we know that we can be touched deeply in our inner man, in our inner being, and it be not displayed with a grand show of emotion. The psalmist leads out so many times talking about the praise and the worship of God being done on their knees and with their face to the ground. See, that's a posture of humility. Vibrant worship will always lead, true vibrant worship will always lead to a change in your life. It will always lead, an internal change, an internal experience, an encounter with God's Holy Spirit will lead to an external difference in your life. I can come in here, I can raise my hands, I can shout, I can dance, you all would laugh, and then I can leave out of here just the same as what I came in. Now, hear me clearly, I'm not saying that vibrant worship doesn't, cause us to react emotionally. It can. God created our emotions. He can utilize that. But what I'm saying is when our worship is built on our emotions only, then it's just an outward showing. And there's a little bit of written about that in the New Testament. They're called Pharisees. Jesus wasn't real high on them. Vibrant worship happens in here. It happens when there's a humility, when there is a bowing down, when there is a recognition that I am worshiping and I am exalting, I'm glorifying, I'm honoring something and someone far bigger than me. You see, true worship isn't about me at all. Vibrant worship isn't about you at all. It's about him. It's about glorifying God. And again, I've already made this statement. You guys sounded amazing this morning, and I love that. I love when I can hear the congregation because you know what these people up here are doing? They're leading. They're not performing. They're not the show. Okay? You all didn't come here to see them. These are the people that are leading. You are the choir. Your voices. Or the choir in this house, and when we vibrantly worship God, we lift up our voices in in glorification to Him. And we don't want anybody. We don't care if anybody's seeing us. We don't worry if people are noticing us. We don't worry about whether whether people think we're not expressive enough or too expressive. We are bowing our hearts. And we are humbling ourselves before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we are saying, God, you and you alone are worthy of my praise. That's vibrant worship. And vibrant worship should lead to a change in your life. True worship will lead you into change. Lastly, number four, It's faithful outreach. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Believers, Christians, brothers and sisters, you should be talking about Jesus Christ. period. There really should not be any explanation of that statement needed. And it's not just in here. It's everywhere. See, the disciples got in trouble. And you can read about it in the book of Acts. They got in trouble over and over and over and over again. Why? Because they would not shut up about Jesus Christ. They, they, they couldn't silence them. Peter was released from prison. He goes into a prayer meeting. And he was in prison because he was preaching, talking publicly about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes into this prayer meeting after being released miraculously, angelically, from a prison cell. And his first prayer request is, let's pray for more boldness to talk about Jesus more. this morning, just some, just some challenges for you. How's your biblical nourishment level? How's your consumption of God's Word? How's your reading? How's your study? How's your devotion to God's Word? Again, it's persevering. How many of you, and I, and I would ask that you all show your hands, how many of you at times find it difficult to read your Bible? It's a call for perseverance. There's a reason for that. You have an enemy fighting against you. If we think about loving fellowship and loving each other with the love of Jesus Christ, let me ask you, okay, let's get super practical and and let me be a pastor here for just a minute and talk about our church time together. How many of you are fellowshipping with the other people that you see in this room on Sunday morning? How many of you are taking time to purposefully fellowship with others? How many of you are here 15 minutes early just so that you can go around and talk and fellowship with other people? How many of you stay late just so you can talk and fellowship with other people? How many, how many of you in here are like spiritual church ninjas? You know, it's like, okay, I can slide in now. Nobody's going to notice me. And then I'm going to slide right out before everything's wound down challenge you fellowship with one another and not only here but we see that the in the new testament the early church that they went to the temple together but then they also met in each other's homes which meant that they not only fellowshiped when they were in the temple but they fellowshiped outside the temple as well how's your worship how is how is this worship of god this glorifying god How is it playing out in your life? Are there evidences of it? Are there evidences that your life and your life's purpose is to bring glory to God? Or is it somewhat superficial? Or is it only with your voice? Or is it only with a hand raise? Or if it's only just being here? And then talk about Jesus Christ. Listen, we all have things that are important to us. We all have things here on this earth that are important to us, and I'm not saying that they should not be important to you. But there should be nothing more important to us than seeing souls one for the kingdom of God. Amen? There should be nothing more important for us than to see a sinner experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And that should humble us to think that Jesus uses us to help bring that about. So this morning, how are your vital signs? How are the vital signs in your life? See, because I think that sometimes as a church, we become guilty of just finding the heartbeat of God. See, I can, I can put my hands, my fingers. So I've never been able to do this. Anybody ever, I mean, I, I know we got some people in the medical field here, but I, I get worried when I try to check my pulse because I can never find it. I'm like, I'm dead. That's what's happened. But see, sometimes we as a church spiritually will get a pulse of God. And you see, and that pulse is never meant to be the destination. That's just a sign that there's still life. That's just a sign that there's a heart beating. Folks, I'm telling you, God wants us to not only find his pulse, but he wants, it, wants us to trace it to his heart. Because sometimes we can get the pulse and we can see blessings. We can see God doing things. We can even, at times, read and see and experience these miracles, these signs and these wonders, but guess what? None of those are ever intended to be the destination. They're pointing us to something greater. And the blessings in our lives, these evidences, these signs, these wonders, these things that we see of an almighty God, they're evidences that should be pointing us to a greater destination. And that greater destination is His presence.